Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Well, I'm going to pray and let's jump into the Word of God together today. Ah, Lord, you are so good. You're so good, God. We just position our hearts right now and focus on you and just ask you to come and speak to us, God. Nobody came to hear me speak, Lord. We all showed up today to hear you speak. So we're just asking you to speak, Holy Spirit, throughout the time together. Every heart, every mind, we're just asking you to speak and download encourage, convict, challenge us, challenge us any way that we need to be challenged, any way we need encouragement. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It's life to us. Now, God, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us minds that understand, and a heart to believe you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We're going to hop between two scriptures today. Uh, We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 6. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 begins, it's it's, uh, very famous, especially at Christmas time, because it starts the passage where it goes through and tells about the birth of Jesus. And then later on in Luke chapter 2, we get this glimpse of Jesus at 12 years old, and we're going we're gonna to pick up something that happened there. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to be at verse 41. So if you want to turn with me there, verse 41 in Luke chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, we got this side of the room. Let's try this side. We'll wait for you. Three, two, one. If you're, okay. All right, you found it. Okay, okay, that's cool. That's cool. You found it. That's good. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. So Jesus, let me give you the quick backstory. Jesus is with his family, and they go to celebrate Passover, okay, the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they would do this every year. So here's Jesus going up to Passover from Nazareth, and he's going. And it says in verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and then sought them among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was after three days, they found him in the temple. Some of you have lost your kid one time at a Target and you freaked out and lost your mind. Imagine three days in Jerusalem when it swelled up 10 times its normal occupancy. So there he is. After three days, they found him in the temple. And he's sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw them, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. And he said to them, 
Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The father's business. I don't know about you, how many of you have ever traveled during the holidays, right? Especially during Christmas time. If you've ever gotten on an airplane or driven somewhere during like, I'm not, I'm not talking like flying on Christmas day, that's easy because it's a ghost town, right? I mean like the 22nd, 21st or that Friday before the weekend and you're trying to get out of town and go to somewhere, it is bananas, right? It's like, you know, 10 million people in this area going north, south, east, west, gridlock everywhere. One year, Fawn and I, we decided we were gonna drive from where we were living in Ventura, California, up to Washington and surprise her parents. So we woke up, we, we got everything packed. We woke up crazy early, like three o'clock in the morning and threw our kids in their pajamas and their pull-ups, just threw them into the car, put blankets on them. Hopefully they fell back asleep really quick and we just started driving. And so we're going, 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 and we, we get outside, we beat the traffic, so great, pull over, have a delicious, nutritious breakfast at McDonald's, you know, like seven o'clock in the morning, kids are loving it, we're an adventure, we're going to see grandma and grandpa, and they don't even know we're coming, like we're gonna blow them with their minds, you know? And we get up, and then we get up, and, and, and then later, later that night, because it's like, you know, it's like a 20 some odd hour drive, right? And so it's not for the faint of heart. And so we're, we're you know, driving up, Fawn and I and our five kids packed into our SUV, and all their stuff, and Christmas presents. Like, I mean, right, it's just awesome. And so we get up through the Siskiyous, and I don't really remember where we're at, but I'm just getting tired. And Fawn's like, I can drive. So I'm like, great, babe, thank God. You know, so Fawn takes over, and she starts driving. And then I wake up to this. You know, and I'm like, you know, what, what? And I look, and all I see is white, and it's just white snow everywhere. And, and you know, when you wake up from a sleep, you're just a little bit delirious anyway, right? Any, any, any maybe Hannah, with, as a new mom, you wake up feeling delirious all the time. But uh, during the snowstorm especially, you wake up, and my wife's driving, and I wake up, and I'm like, ah, slow down. And she starts to slow down. Slow down meant to her, in her mind, it equated to hit the brakes. And so we kind of skidded a little bit and recovered. And I'm like, okay, we'll pull over. And you can't see 10 feet in front of you. It's a snowstorm blizzard through the Siskiyous going up into Oregon and everything else. And I'm like, okay, so I get out and, you know, and get, get around and it's late at night and we're trying to tell the kids to go back to sleep. By now they're all freaked out, you know. And then we finally do the trek and, and we get up there, right? That was 20 some odd hours. And it was a really exciting journey for the Peterson family. When Jesus' parents would travel from Nazareth down through the area, go across some rivers, stop, hang out with some people, cook meals. It was this big caravan of all their family and friends that lived in Nazareth, and they would all go to Jerusalem. Okay, that, that trip only takes two hours by car, <laughs> okay? But they did it over the course of four days, eight to 12-hour blocks, okay? So eight to 12 hour blocks over the course of four days with Jesus probably saying, dad, are we there yet? Are we close yet, dad? Like, where are we at, right? So Jesus and his family, they go there, but his parents leave him. Can you imagine? I mean, we've, we've left our son, my son Rivers here in the front row. Today's his 13th birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, son. I remember when he was a little guy, uh, you know, he was just barely two years old, we all get out of the car to go into a restaurant, and uh, we get in the restaurant, and I look at Fawn, and she doesn't have a river, and she looks at me, and I don't have a river, and look at the girls and see if one of them grabbed their little baby brother, and nobody's got a river. 
I'm like, oh my gosh. So we race back to the car and he's sitting in the car bawling because he just watched us walk away. <laughs> he's in the back. So today for River's 13th birthday, we're going away, just the two of us to have some man time and we'll, do, we'll have a therapy session tonight, son. So. <laughs> but Mary and Joseph, they, they lose Jesus in the caravan. A day goes by, they don't see him. I mean, could you imagine the freak out session you would have as a mom? I mean, like as a parent, dad, you're running around, you know, like who took my kid? It's like home alone, but times 10, right? Kevin, it's Jesus, where are you, you know? And they're trying to figure out where he is. They backtrack, they go back. They're looking all around Jerusalem. Jerusalem would literally be 10 times the size of the inhabitants whenever there was the festivals. And so they're looking all over the place trying to find Jesus. And they're there at one of the three pilgrim festivals. And the three pilgrim feasts are, the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's Passover. The second one is Shavuot, which is Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And the third is Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So this week, coming up this Friday, is Passover on April the 15th. It's Passover. And so on sundown, all of Jewish people will gather together, and Messianic Jewish people, believers, they will gather together and they'll celebrate Passover. And during that time, they're remembering what the Lord has done. So Jesus' whole family, they go there and they celebrate Passover like they have for all these years. But at 12 years old, there was something different about the boy that they noticed. At 12 years old, according to Jewish tradition, if you were a young man at 12 or 13 years old, you would have your bar mitzvah, right? So you'd have that time. It was a celebration. It wasn't a celebration of what you came through. It was a celebration of what you're going into. And so it was a time where they would take the young man and now the men of that community would surround him, guard him, teach him, instruct him. They would bring him in as like, you're coming into manhood. And so there's Jesus at 12 years old and he comes into, he's living in that moment at 12 and he goes in and he's spending time with the teachers and he's listening to them and he's asking questions of them. These same teachers, many of them were probably there when he was on the cross. Many of them probably knew about this crazy rabbi that was stirring things up, up in Galilee. Many of them probably remembered, man, there's something different about him. And they said that they were all amazed, that they were astonished by just the questions that he's asking. My question to us is today is, what kind of questions are you asking God? Have you ever taken a moment just to kind of quiet your mind and ask God, some questions. Ask him some tough questions. Ask him some questions about areas where you've experienced pain, maybe some loss, maybe some hurt. Ask him some questions of, Lord, I saw you that you'd brought about this thing in my life. Could you show me how that fits into my future? What kind of questions are we asking the Lord? So during this time, it was what they, what they called, it was a holy convocation, each feast, regardless of when or how it was celebrated, was a holy convocation. The Hebrew word for convocation was mikra, and it means called out, a called out public meeting. And Kadesh was holy. It, 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 it wasn't just like any other gathering. It wasn't just any other time of going to Jerusalem on a vacation. It wasn't just like any other time. It was actually a holy moment. So they go there to celebrate Passover and experience a holy moment, and then there's Jesus. He stays behind, and he's questioning, he's asking, and he's hanging out in his temple. And when his parents come up and say, where were you at? What have you been doing? You made our hearts stop, son. Don't you ever do that again. And Jesus says, I must be about 
my father's business. Seven words. I must be about my father's business. Those seven words consumed him. So the question for us is, are we consumed with the father's business? Are you consumed with the father's business? If I'm honest with you, some weeks I'm more consumed than others. I find that I'm at my best in life when I am passionate, white hot, on fire for his purposes. And you as well. (laughs) What's consuming you? What's consuming your thoughts? What's consuming, what's driving decisions in your life? Is it the father's business? Or is it business, life, finances, government, political, blah, 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 and the list goes on? What's consuming us today? Spiritual maturity is seen when the things of God consume us more than the things of this world. Sometimes the things of the world, man, they're going to try to beat you up, steal your attention. That Instagram is going to speak really loudly in the morning versus that Bible app, right? There's times in the world where you just need to shut it off. You just need to turn it off, airplane mode it, and start your day really believing like Jesus is Lord and he really does want to meet with you. Because he is Lord and Savior of my life and I believe that he is a person that we can interact with, I schedule time in my day to spend time with him. When I'm riding in my car, and I encourage you to do this, sometimes I'll just ride in my car and I'll talk to Jesus like he's sitting there. I mean, I'm driving. I know he's really the driver of my life, but in this scene, he's the co-pilot because I gotta keep my eyes on the road, right? So I'm like, I'm his, show, I'm his Uber driver. So I'll have conversations with Jesus. And I'll just ask him questions. I'll ask him for ideas. I'll ask him for thoughts. You know, like my son's 13th birthday this weekend when we take, take off out of town today, have some man time together. I spent time with the Lord. I'm just like, Lord, what would really bless my son? What would really challenge his heart? Lord, how, how, how could I bless my wife today? What would be something that would surprise her? And those thoughts, as you begin to ask those questions, can I just encourage you with this thought? You know, God has those thoughts towards you, that he wants to bless you. Some people don't realize their position in his heart is one where he wants to bless you. He wants to bless your life. As long as the blessing doesn't take away from you living right before him, sometimes people receive a blessing from God and it could, out, out, it, it, it could end up ruining them because they focus more on the blessing than the one who gave that blessing. But don't forget, he wants to bless you. He wants to bless your life. So what is the Father's business? So we're gonna take a look now. We're gonna jump into Exodus chapter six. And I'm going to unpack for you a few things, four key things that you see in the story of Passover that's part of the father's business. And it wasn't just something that he did as a one-time event for the children of Israel. It's something that he's still doing today in 2022. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and this is where we're going to kind of camp out for most of the remainder of the service time today. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. So let me give you the backstory of what's happening here if you're not familiar with this story in the context of history. So this is the historical account in the book of Exodus of the children of Israel that were... uh, 
they, they started off with a great relationship with Egypt and then it ended poorly. So if you go back in scriptures, there's a few names I'm gonna throw out, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Israel's name gets, or Israel's name originally was Jacob, got later turned to Israel. Israel has several sons. One of the sons is a young man named Joseph. Joseph has a, a beef with his brothers. They don't like him. There's jealousy in the family. It's family feud, times five, Jerry Springer style. And they sell him into slavery. He gets sold into Egypt and he lives there for many, many years. And then his brothers come to see him and they don't recognize him because he's dressed up, standing tall, walking like an Egyptian. And so he's got his makeup on or whatever it is, but they don't recognize him. And so Joseph sees and shows himself to his brothers and there was a famine in the land. So his whole family ends up, they have this, this this reunion time and there's peace and there's blessing and Joseph was working underneath Pharaoh at that time and he was the second most powerful person in Egypt serving that Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said, hey, your family, they can take any pick of those fields over there, you can have it. And so they lived in peace and prosperity for years and years. But 400 years goes by and the new Pharaoh doesn't remember what the old Pharaoh did and he could care less. All he sees is that all these Israelites, all these Hebrew guys and, and gals, they're, they're uh, populating so quickly and there's so many of them, they're like, they're gonna take over our country. We gotta get them out or we gotta put them under our thumb. And so they decide, you know what, rather than push them out of our land, we, we would rather put them under our thumb because we got some stuff to build. So they end up in, uh, employing them as slaves and they bring them in. They say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna provide for some food for you, but you're gonna provide for us all these building and materials and everything like that. So the children of Israel as a nation get sold into slavery at that mo moment. And just like Joseph did, now the whole nation's experienced slavery. And so years go by and the Lord raises up a guy named Moses. Moses goes and he, he gets a word from the Lord to go back to his, his family line and that the Lord was gonna use him to see the people of God delivered from the hands of the Egyptians, okay? So just like that song that we sang earlier today, Egypt, and God is rescuing us from our own Egypt and he's rescuing them from Egypt. So God says in verse six, he says, so say therefore to the people of Israel, he's telling Moses this, I am the Lord. Now I'm gonna show you four key elements here you may not have seen in the scriptures. We're gonna unpack it. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you. That's a promise from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. Verse seven. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So four things, I got four points today. I encourage you to write these down. You're gonna see this scripture like you've never saw it before. In the world of Passover and celebrating Passover, one of the parts of the celebration that they would have, some of you may know this, is they have uh, the tradition of the four cups. There's four cups at, a, at, a, at a, a traditional Seder meal when you would have Passover, if you were with a Jewish family or Messianic believers, what they would do is they would have four cups. You would have one cup that you would fill four times and it was, it, was a, it was a jolly good celebration. They would fill that stuff with wine and they would, this is when the Jews come out and party, man. And so they would fill that one cup four times in celebration of what God has done. So this is the first time God's talking about what he is going to do. And there's four key elements that people look at as the four cups that I'm gonna outline for you. Number one was the aspect of salvation. Salvation. So it said, I will bring you out. 
And that word salvation is translated kadush. It means sanctification. I'm gonna bring you out. I'm gonna sanctify you. Basically, you've been under their grasp. You've been under their grip. I'm gonna sanctify you. Jesus is sanctifying us today. He has brought you out. Somebody of you, some of you need to be reminded that he brought you out. You look back. The reason that the Jews always celebrate Passover every single year, why Jesus celebrated it his whole life, while generations and generations before him celebrated it every single year, is because the Lord wanted them to remember, I brought you out. Some of you, when you gather on a Sunday, you need to be reminded, I brought you out. Some of us, sometimes, if you were like me when I got saved, I needed to be reminded every day, the Lord has brought you out. You can walk in freedom. The Lord has brought you out. He has sanctified you. So number one, salvation. Number two, the second element, is deliverance. The Lord says, I will deliver you. Makot, I will deliver you. Deliverance. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So that pertains to us. You've received deliverance. Don't say with your mouth, well, I struggle with X, Y, Z. That's just the way it is. And then on Sunday, you come forward for prayer, and we pray that you'll never struggle with that again, and we pray for freedom in your life, and then you go away, and then on Tuesday, you're like, well, I just struggle with this. This is kind of how I am. No, that's a lie. That's a lie from the devil. No, no, no. You've been delivered. You've been set free. You've experienced salvation. The old, the old man has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Number three, the third thing the Lord promised to do, the third aspect of our Father's business, redemption. I will re- redeem you. And that's Berkat Hamazon, restoration. Speaks of restoration, the redemption. Just think, think of that word, restoration. Like some of you like restoration hardware. I'm not talking about restoration hardware. That's, that's a, it's a different type of restoration. It's literally like taking a home and restoring it to its original beauty, what its God-given purpose was when the builder that originally built that home intended for that home. They have the restoration process. The Lord is restoring you. Titus 2.14, I love what it says here. It says, he who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let us be known as people that are zealous for good works. Now, mind you, you're not saved by your works. None of us are. If we could be saved by our works, there'd be no reason for Jesus to have come. (laughs) You'll never be good enough, but you will never be too bad. What I mean by that is you can never be good enough to earn your salvation salvation from the Lord, but you're never too far gone that his outstretched arm can't reach out and grab you and save you. The fourth aspect of the Father's business that we see in Exodus chapter 6 is praise. He says, I'm going to take you as my own. That's something to praise him about. When he says, you were once under their bondage, you were once under their slavery, you were once under their yoke, I'm taking you out of that now, and I'm making you my own, man. I'm making you my son. I'm making you my daughter. That's something to praise him about. And that word for praise is hallel. That may look familiar. That's where we get the word hallelujah, hallel, hallelujah. That's where we get that word from. It's praise. It's that adoration. And so Passover, when we celebrate that, we're really celebrating all these aspects that the Lord said he was going to do. And when he set it in place all those years ago with this historical account, he was pointing towards the day 
when Jesus would walk into it. So he says, I'm, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna take you as my own. Lord, I thank you for saving me. Thank you, you've redeemed me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for taking me as your own. That we were bought with a price. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes you just need to stop and pause and just rest in that. I mean, think about that. You're saved. You're delivered. You're redeemed. You're his own. You're his own. You're his son. You're his daughter. You may look like your earthly parents, but you're really his. They're just stewards over you, right? So we look to Jesus. So here's Jesus at 12 years old, back to where we started in Luke chapter 2. And so he's there celebrating Passover. And it would be 21 years later, 33 years old. He's walking into Jerusalem for the last time in his earthly ministry. And he had come up from Jericho. We shared about that a few weeks ago. And he, he, he made the trek again. And he made the trek, and only this time, and just instead of just a caravan of family and friends, he's got a caravan of a bunch of followers. And they're following him because of the miracles that he's performing, and they're, they're blown away just watching him. He walked through Jericho, and they watch him heal a blind guy, and then they get a little upset because he goes and spends time with this Zacchaeus character who they feel is not worthy of Jesus' time. And then Jesus continues up, and he goes up to uh, the, the hill as you come into Jerusalem. How many of you have ever been to Israel and actually gone to Jerusalem? A few hands. Hopefully... Lord willing, if borders stay open, our goal as a church is that we would go there next year with anybody that would like to go with us in 2023. So we're going to plan a trip in the springtime, and it'll be great. And so when you come up Jerusalem, it's the most beautiful site. You come up this windy road from Jericho, and it comes around the corner, and then you have this overlook on the hillside, and you see the whole city. It's just beautiful. And even to this day, because of certain building codes, as you can imagine over there, no, no building can be a certain height. And so most of them you can just see and you see the Temple Mount and everything. It's glorious. It's incredible. So Jesus comes through there and he has this conversations with his disciples and he sends them on ahead to go. And he says, you're going to go get a donkey. And, and he, they do that and they bring it to him. And then uh, all the people begin to celebrate him. They begin to praise Jesus. They begin to have a Hallel moment. In Matthew 21, verse 9, it says this, and this leads us to Palm Sunday. All the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save now. Save now. So they're all there. They, they take off their garments and they're throwing them down. They're breaking off palm uh, branches, large palms, and they're laying them down. And when they did that in their culture, if I took off my car garment and laid it down before you, it was something that you would do when the king rode into town to genuflect before royalty and reverence. And in an essence, you're pledging your allegiance to them. You're saying, my shield is your shield, king. My sword is your sword, king. And they would take their garments and they would lay them down. And so here all these people are and they begin to praise him. And they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. And they're taking their garments and throwing it down on the ground and the palms. And, and Jesus is riding, not on a horse, 
that's up high like most kings would come. He came on a lowly donkey. And actually in the book of Matthew, uh, if you look through the gospels, there's four gospels, and the account of Matthew is the only gospel account where you actually read about Jesus, and it talks about two donkeys. The other gospels were not necessarily written to Jewish believers, so it wouldn't make any sense if they said two or one. The reason in Matthew's gospel that it says specifically two is because the two donkeys were prophesied about back in the book of Zechariah chapter nine. It said that the, the Savior would come in riding on a colt in the foal of a donkey. And, he, and it specifically says, talks about two. And in Zechariah, there's a lot of uh, passages related to the, the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. So the other gospels don't account for it because they're not written to a Jewish audience. So it doesn't matter if it's one or two. But to a Jewish audience, it was really important that they understood that there was two because it was fulfillment of the scriptures out of Zechariah. So Jesus comes and he's riding on the, the, the colt, the, the young foal of a donkey. And, and just picture the scene, like almost how ridiculous it looked for him as a grown man at 33 years old to be riding that. And they're praising and they're worshiping him. But that praise would soon fade away. Those moments that they had following him and cheering him on and thinking Jesus was the best, the best thing that they'd ever experienced would soon fade away. That fire would kind of die out and they would go from shouting and blessing and, and saying Hosanna to then they would change to crucify him. When he was who they wanted him to be, they praised him as a savior. When he was who they needed him to be, they cursed him and put a crown of thorns on his head. In a moment, within a week, that's how quickly they flipped. <laughs> we can be finicky, can't we? Am I the only one that can be finicky sometimes? Sometimes we can flip-flop. And man, they were a finicky people. One moment they're blessing, the next moment they're cursing. On your prayer card, there's names. And those names represent people. And I don't know if they're blessing or cursing the name of our Savior right now. But I'm believing that they're gonna have an encounter with him where they're gonna be radically transformed. And I just wanna highlight a few things to you as we land the plane here today. On that prayer card, you'll see a bunch of scriptures there. It says that they will call in the name of the Lord and be saved. That's out of Romans. These are scriptures that we're praying for and believing that are gonna take root in their lives. My wife and I, we started a garden this past week and, and yesterday uh, with our kids, we were out there tilling up the land and we did that earlier in the week as well, but we had to do it again just to let it aerate the soil and everything. When you pray for names on your prayer card, it's aerating the soil so that the seed that you're gonna plant, when you say, would you like to join me at church on Sunday, I go to this awesome church at Authentic Church. The pastor's okay, his wife's amazing, um, but you know, would you like to join me? When you pray for them, you're literally tilling up that soil. And then when you, when, when you give them that invitation, that's the seed that you're planting in the ground. And so we're praying throughout this whole week, several times a day, praying that they would call on the name of the Lord, praying that the eyes of their heart would be opened, praying that they would accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. We're praying that they will confess their sins and receive forgiveness. It's a proud heart that says, I don't have sin in my life. It's a humble heart that says, I have sin and I need Jesus. The proud husband is the one that says, I've done nothing wrong. The humble husband says, honey, I'm sorry I did something wrong. 
<laughs> 20 years of marriage, my, one of my biggest takeaways from marriage advice from my pastor uh, when I got saved, he said, Jeff, the first one to admit they're, they're sorry and say that they were wrong wins the argument. <laughs> so say I'm sorry first. We're praying that they're gonna confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be saved, that they will be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit, that they will be planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in Jesus' name. Well, today, my heart is burdened for those that aren't in the room, those that we have in our lives who need to encounter God. And so when we pray, and we're gonna have a prayer time in a moment, I'm gonna have the worship team go ahead and join me up uh, front now at this time, Danielle and Isaac. But we're gonna pray for these names on this list. And we're gonna pray, and I'm gonna lead you in prayer for them. We're gonna pray that they're actually gonna have an encounter with God. Hear my heart. Whether they come to authentic church or another church, I really don't care. I'm about my father's business. And if, our, if, if the father's business leads them here, praise God. If the father's business leads them to a church down the road and they get planted and they're flourishing, praise God. I mean, come on. So we're, we're believing, even if they're in another state, you might have people on your prayer card, I got somebody in another state. I'm praying that they're gonna get into the house of the Lord, they're gonna find a great Bible-believing church, that they're gonna have an encounter with God. Not just go get dressed up, take a few pictures, go out to brunch. I'm talking that they are gonna have an encounter with God that's gonna radically transform their life, amen? It's gonna set them on fire like you've been set on fire. It's gonna transform their world the way God transformed your world. God can do it in a moment. I've experienced it, I've seen it. Many of you have seen it and experienced it as well. So we're just gonna pray and do our part and we're gonna believe the fire of God to fall on these prayers, that the Lord's gonna wake them up and we're gonna stand, why don't we just stand right now? We're gonna stand and we're gonna grab this prayer card and we're just gonna pray out these prayers. And I, I, want you, I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you just to visualize whoever's on your prayer card, visualize them in church worshiping. I want you to visualize them standing here and being touched by the goodness of God. Maybe their hands are lifted. Maybe the look on their face is just glowing with a smile that just expresses joy. Maybe they're on their knees. Picture them in the house of God, transformed experiencing him, an encounter with God is unlike anything else. There was an atheist that was asked to speak to a, a Baptist Bible college up in Chicago years ago. And they would do this thing and they called it Baptist Days at this university and they would have all the Baptists come together and they would bring in a speaker and you could quiz them and ask them questions. So they thought it would be good for the theology department to host a guy that didn't believe what they believed. So they brought in this atheist and the atheist shared all these things and he ripped it to shreds and he took scripture after scripture and he said no this and that and the other and then he gets to the end of it and there was this really happy-go-lucky African-American pastor. He's eating his apple, and he raises his hand for questions at the end. The guy says, yes, sir. He says, I just got one question. 
says, what's that? It's just one question for you, doctor. He says, yes, what is it? He says, uh, what does this apple taste like? And the doctor, the professor looked at him and he says, I can't possibly know what your apple tastes like because I haven't tasted it. He says, thank you. You can't possibly know my savior because you haven't tasted him. Wow. And the place erupted. <laughs> and that guy kind of went home with his tail between his legs, but still full of pride. But the point is this, you've tasted, you've seen the goodness of God. We want others to taste and see the goodness of God. So right now, God, we just pray for every name on this prayer card. God, we're praying that they're gonna come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, we picture them in our minds right now, worshiping you. We see them in the house of God. We see them passionate and on fire for you. God, we see them calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. We see them with a smile that lights their face. We see them full of joy. God, we see them turning towards you today. God, we're praying in Jesus' name. We're praying for a move of the Holy Spirit upon them. Holy Spirit, we release you to go and just render these hearts. Grab these hearts, get a hold of them. All these people, God, we just release these people into your care. God, do whatever you gotta do in their life. Take them wherever you gotta take them for them to see how bad they need Jesus. That they come to the end of themselves. God, that they don't desire sin anymore, they desire righteousness in Jesus' name. They don't desire to live the way of the world. They want to live according to your word. God, I pray that it would rise up inside of them. I pray that there would be salvation experience. I pray that there would be deliverance experience. I pray that there would be redemption. I pray, God, that they would say hallelujah because you have called them to yourself and made them your own in Jesus' name. God, we pray that the eyes of their heart would be open to Jesus in Jesus' name right now, Ephesians 1.18. God, made the eyes of their heart be open to the things of you in Jesus' name. And we don't just pray little prayers, God. This is life or death. This is heaven or hell. This is a moment where they're gonna come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray when given that choice that they're gonna choose you. They're gonna choose life. They're gonna choose eternity with you, God. And we pray for that right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they will confess their sins and receive forgiveness. God, I pray for the name on a prayer card. I join with the fellowship of the believers here in this house today. God, we're praying for every name on these prayer cards, God, that they would receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. God, that they would confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be saved. God, I pray, Father, that they would confess, that they would call on Jesus, Lord. God, I pray that they would be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit, like in Acts 2.38. God, I pray that they would be baptized and filled. God, I pray that people would walk in here and feel the tangible presence of God, the glory that rests in this place. Bring them in, God. Bring them in. God, that they would be planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of our God. Lord, let it not be just a one-time event. I pray that God, that they would be planted, that they would flourish in the courts of our God. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for doing a work in these lives and in our lives. And God, when we send out that text invite, when we give that phone call, when we do that post on social media or hand somebody a card in person, God, I pray that that would be a spiritual moment where Jesus is inviting them to his table and that they would say yes. 
they would say yes. They would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.